This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You are listening to Live and Learn. I'm Lee Chui Lin. As the international community gradually comes to terms with the economical and political consequences of Britain choosing to leave the European Union, today we ask sports lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim about how Brexit might affect the English Premier League, the most successful football league in the world in terms of viewership and revenue. Richard, Leslie, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. So are there any precedents um, in sports or otherwise of this magnitude that we can look to for guidance for what to expect um, for when a country decides um, to leave something like the European Union? Well, um, firstly, thank, thanks for having us here. Um, I think the closest thing we have, well, we have is actually when, when the British uh, nations join EU. You know, and that affected, uh, for the context of our conversation today, uh, affected the way uh, the Scottish League, the, the English Premier League, uh, were organised. So, uh, prior to, to uh, the UK uh, being fully involved in EU, initially started as EC and it became EU. Um, uh, the English League was very much run, um, let's, let's focus on the English League, for example, very much run based on the English players. Uh, and players like from France, from Italy, were all considered uh, foreign players. Uh, now, um, uh, Eric Cantona will be a, a, a EU player, and he will be known as a local player. Uh, but 20 years ago, he was a foreign player. So the impact at that time can be seen the other way around, when we saw the influx of EU players coming into England. Yeah. The full impact of Brexit will take years to be felt, um, if at all. You know, there's a lot of talk about, well, when will these things come into effect um, in actuality? And a lot of pundits are saying that the Premier League might be largely unaffected because of how influential the league is. Um, Do you agree with this assessment? Well, um, my view is that one of the reasons why the English Premier League is of great value is the cosmopolitan character of the league. Um, Just look at the, the managers this season. Uh, Mourinho um, in, at, at MU, uh, Pep Guardiola at Man City, uh, Ronald Koeman at Everton. There, there's an international flair and that will create a cosmopolitan image. And that attracted much investors uh, to the Premier League. Hence, it's one of the biggest league in the world, football league in the world. But I think if a UK uh, does eventually activate Article 50, um, the foreign players i.e. non-British players, uh, may have to leave. Uh, the, the British uh, football associations may limit uh, each club to three or four non-British players, uh, which makes the club less attractive to attract the best players from the continent and eventually will not make the league as exciting as it is now. So I think, to, to the contrary, if, if, they, uh, if UK does go ahead with Article 50... Um, I actually foresee the Premier League's value, uh, especially for broadcasting rights, may take a dip. Yeah, that, that's how I see it. However, that's not going to happen right away, right? I mean, um, you mentioned Article 50 and that hasn't actually been activated as yet. So the upcoming season, is it fair to say that it's going to be unaffected? It's just going to run as it was? Um, yeah, I, I think it will just be like, a, you know, as, as the show must go on for this season. But there will be some jittery moments. If, if I'm a board member um, deciding whether to buy a player, my question is that if I buy um, a player from Italy, uh, 
can I sign him up for five years? Because in two to three years' time, um, the UK may have left, may have to leave uh, EU. And what would be the status of this player? So for this season, no problem. But for 2017 and 2018 onwards, uh, it may cause problems in who to buy and how long do you give a contract uh, length to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, as of as of now, um, the referendum referendum has already been voted on, uh, but in fact, uh, the UK has not even uh, put forth the application, uh, and we don't know when exactly they'll be putting forth the application. From there, there'll be a, a period of two years whereby they will negotiate um, with the EU uh, as to the uh, terms and conditions of the separation, so to speak. So I reckon, yeah, we will not see the impact uh, immediately, definitely not this season. Uh, but I do reckon we will probably see uh, a transitional period. So that there'll be three stages. So we're now we're at the first stage where it's, you know, uh, before Brexit. And then there'll be a transitional period where, you know, parties will uh, figure out uh, the terms and conditions uh, for post-Brexit. Yeah, and that, of course, depends on the outcome of the negotiations between uh, the UK government and, of course, the EU Council. We have our phone lines open today. If you're wondering how the Brexit is going to impact um, the English Premier League, give us a call. That number is 0377109000. You can also text 0162019000 or tweet us at BFM Radio. So, of course, um, you know, Richard, you mentioned foreign players and that, as you say, as you rightly point out, is a very important part of any league, but the EPL in particular. Um, how does this affect the eligibility of foreign players? You know, um, for right now, for the players who are already there, and then for that hypothetical situation that you had earlier of, let's say, I, you know, I, I signed some hot young gun from from Milan, you know, and he comes over, he costs me a lot of money, I paid the club a whole ton, and I don't know if I'll be able to use him for the entire five years of his contract. Mm. Good question. Um, for the current players, I, I foresee um, when if Article 50 is activated, there will be a particular period where uh, all businesses, including football, which is a, is a big business there, uh, to have a window. Uh, so I, I don't foresee much problem with uh, the current non-British players at the moment. Um, secondly, I, I think the issue of work permit will come into review uh, the work permits uh, were very uh, stringent in the 90s when uh, the, uh, the Immigration Department of UK only allowed a certain amount of non-British players playing for the Premier League. Um, now, any, as I said earlier, any, any EU member can play in the Premier League. Only non-EU members would have to comply with a strict uh, work permit system. It's a point system, etc., uh, etc. Et um I would think for the third situation that, that, that you were mentioning about a player with a, a, as a the example that I gave, what's going to happen is this. If, if I'm the, 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 the team lawyer, we will advise the team to actually have a certain clause in the contract uh, which will take into account the potential consequences of Article 50. Uh, the EU lawyers, which Leslie and I have been in contact with one or two, have informed us that they have already started drafting and formulating such agreements. Uh, they realise that living in, in a time where it's neither here nor there, such terms will become handy. And I, I think eventually uh, most teams will protect their, their, their uh, uh, club 
make sure that they will not get into such a sticky situation. But for the player, eventually, if the player is bought for say forty million, thirty million pounds, um, and after three years he finds himself as a, a non-eligible, I'm sure the club will find a way around it. And uh, knowing the Premier League, they would have actually for, uh, formed a certain kind of window uh, before uh, totally shutting off non-EU uh, non-British players. Yeah. So just to, to touch a little bit about this uh, work permit that Richard just mentioned So it basically stems from the uh, freedom of movement Which uh, EU members uh, enjoy uh, by virtue of being uh, a member state of the EU um, So footballers are in essence uh, regarded as workers uh, And uh, foreign players uh, are required uh, to, I mean, as in non-EU players are deemed as foreign uh, players, they are required to apply for a work permit. Uh, and there are certain criteria which have been set out by the uh, Home Office. So previously, the criteria were uh, that the player must be an international football player of the highest calibre who will be able to make a significant contribution to the development of the game of football uh, in the United Kingdom at the highest level. Uh, but this criteria uh, changed uh, in the, I think it was early 2015, uh, where eligibility uh, of a foreign player was now determined based on uh, their national team's ranking. So, it, you know, if your nas- the national team that you're playing for falls within FIFA's ranking of 1 to 10, you will need to uh, have played 30% and above of uh, international matches over a period of the last uh, 24 months dating back from the date of the application and then the percentages change according to the different rankings so I'll just give you an example so say um, a player from Brazil uh, which is currently ranked 7th uh, on FIFA's rankings uh, that player would have had to play uh, 30% of international matches in contrast a player from say the US uh, which is now currently ranked uh, 31 uh, in the world uh, he will need to play 75% of international matches. So um, there are, the criteria have changed over the years, but um, of course the UK has an uh, appeal body in place uh, and uh, there are actually almost two to three levels of appeals uh, based on point system like what Richard mentioned just now and, and uh, players are even given a chance to uh, put forth their arguments if there are uh, extenuating circumstances, say uh, long-term injuries or suspension, they are allowed to appeal on those bases and, and then the uh, Home Office will actually consider those and then um, determine whether or not they wish to grant uh, a work permit to these foreign players. So, yeah. Richard, earlier you said, you know, Eric Cantona would have been an EU player and um, and would now be considered a foreign player, French player as such. Um, there's this term, homegrown talent. It's thrown around a lot when it comes to sports and football. Yes. Um, what's considered homegrown? Because to me, homegrown is you know really stemming from the town for which you play. Um, but I understand that the meaning is not quite what I'm taking it to be. Yeah, you're accurate. Um, actually, the evolution of that concept, um, ironically started because of the Bosman rulings and also the opening of the EU market in, in football. Um, over the years, um, if you look at the Premier League in the 1990s, uh, every British team or every English team, uh, the majority of the players were, were English. Uh, but there was even a time when Arsenal was playing with a team without any English players and it was alright. So eventually UEFA and, and even FIFA were, were concerned about this because you, you may have a situation where an English club um, is you know, <laughs> utilising players who are not English, yep. not British at all. 
uh, and that will deny the opportunity of uh, true English young players an opportunity to play for that club. So they came out with a homegrown concept where the players uh, uh, are trained at the age of 16, 17, 18. Uh, they're part of the academy and they're deemed to be homegrown. And the club must uh, utilise such players or must at least have such a, an academy. Unfortunately, uh, homegrown also includes players who were brought in at the age of 16 from Africa, yep. for example. So um, we have players from uh, uh, Nigeria, uh, at the age of 16, training in um, uh, Stoke City. And, 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 and that player is a homegrown Stoke City player, for example. Um, uh, so th- that's how it's evolved. But uh, the, 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 to be fair, the purpose and intent of that rule is to encourage football clubs to nurture young talents, not just go out and buy, 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 buy. So I can see how that's in the interest of British football and British clubs. Um, but is it also in the interest of the EU? Because Yes, currently. Yeah, currently. In, so the current setup is actually meant to help all the clubs. So even in Milan uh, or in Barcelona, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the clubs go out and, and try and get as many young local talents as possible. Or they, the clubs go out and buy young talents from overseas. People tend to forget Lionel Messi was brought to Barcelona when he was a very young boy. And he's technically based on the interpretation, homegrown. Barcelona homegrown, yeah. So uh, even though he's Argentinian, uh, playing in a Spanish club. But once uh, Brexit takes effect, Article 50 is activated, I foresee changes in the interpretation or the understanding of homegrown rules in football for the British rules. I I, I foresee uh, homegrown will definitely be now British players More nationalistic More nationalistic yeah, Yes, I foresee that Because currently The definition of uh, Homegrown players According to the UEFA regulations Is that uh, The player has to be Registered with the club uh, For three seasons uh, Between the age of 15 and 21 So UEFA brought this into play I think in 2006-2007 And this subsequently followed through uh, Premier League also uh, employed the same uh, regulations I think it was in the 2010-2011 season um, And what, what makes this homegrown really interesting Is that it's uh, applicable irrespective of nationality So as long as the player is uh, registered and locally trained It would count towards uh, that quota of the club So one, I think one example apart from the one that Richard just brought up Is actually Cesc Fabregas um, Who, although being Spanish uh, a Is Spanish, now London yeah, homegrown Yes, correct <laughs> It's considered London homegrown actually, yes so it's very unique. Yeah, very yes. unique, yeah. my yeah. mind is a little bit blown up. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to lie; it's not something I ever considered. Um, we're talking today about Brexit's impact on the English Premier League. If you've got any questions, give us a call. That number is zero three seven seven one zero nine thousand. You can also text zero one six two zero one nine thousand or tweet us at VFM Radio. We will be right back after this. Good afternoon. You are listening to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Lee Chui Lin. In the studio with me today, Richard Wee and Leslie Lim, both lawyers. And we're talking about Brexit's impact on the English Premier League. Um, and we've mostly been focusing on the players, uh, how this would affect players, homegrown or otherwise. Um, and we have a tweet from Bingster who says, um, wouldn't the Brexit be good for British football because there would be more chances for Brits to play? Uh, I will first like to say hello to Bingster. It's a fellow Evertonian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Bing. Um, yeah, I, I think in theory, um, if Brexit takes its full impact, then we will see, uh, we may see a return to the 1980s and 90s 
where uh, English Premier League is played with by English players. And so uh, there, there is a possibility that one day in 10, 20 years from now, um, most clubs will be filled, in English clubs, of course, filled with English players. It's, it's possible. Um, but uh, there may be economic treaties. We, we are not sure. Yeah. There could be... Uh, European economic agreements, uh, which may bilateral be bilateral agreements, agreements yeah. which may be executed, and that may still open up uh, uh, football employment. Um, so that that is still speculative, um, uh, possible, uh, but hard to conclude at this moment. And does that also mean that foreign players would cost more to sign? Um, well, and foreign here, we're well, including we're all the Europeans. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, can look. It really depends. Depends. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, well, I, my view is Lynn is that. Uh, sorry, uh, Leslie. Is that you know if you go back to the old rule, first is how many non-EU play, uh, non-British players can you bring in in the first place? So if the if the league sets a rule that you can only bring in three or four uh, non-British players, and there are fifty British non-British players who wants to join your club, then the player will be very cheap. You you can pick and choose, you know. You, you, uh, but on the other side of the coin, we can say that the players become more expensive because. It's it's more difficult to get a player in. Correct. It's it's because yeah. one of the concerns about uh, the impact of Brexit on the Premier League is that, like Richard said, depending on the the quota that's actually imposed on the club, um, I think the higher ranking players have nothing to worry about. It's the lower ranking players. Like let's take an example, um, Sterling, who I think last year joined uh, Man City for and when he first went uh, into the Premier League uh, in the early days he had no international background so if we take the, the regulations and apply he would technically not qualify to be even playing in the Premier League so um, players like him would actually suffer so-called suffer through this system um, but you know if if only the high-ranking players are going to benefit from this, then there is a possibility that the cost is going to, to drive up because you would want to... Everybody would be just fighting, you know, to, to nail down that, that top-ranking player and to bring him into the Premier League. The same 25 yeah. guys around the world. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about Brexit's impact on the EPL today. If you've got any questions, that number to call 03-7710-9000. You can text 016 or tweet us at BFM Radio. What were the existing privileges that the UK did enjoy um, as an EU member? You know, no. I, um, yes. I mean, what what were the privileges that existed for the Premier League? Um, well, easy movement of players. Yep. Um, while we were we've been focusing on on, on uh, for example, French, Spanish, Italian players joining the Premier League clubs. Our British players can also join. Uh, well, I should say our the British players. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not British. Uh, the British players can also move out. Uh, so Gareth Bale, when he moved to uh, Real Madrid, he didn't need a work permit at all. Um, so th- th- it works both ways. Uh, it's just that uh, English players or British clubs uh, uh, being exported or exporting players out is is rare. Um, but that's one privilege. The other one is the. Um, the easy uh, transactions of uh, transfers um, deals can be done as late as five minutes before the transfer deadline because the whole continent is running based on one system. Um, so we may get a, a, a Hungarian player joining a Scottish Premier League club uh, five minutes before the end of the transfer. It's possible. But once the British nation leave EU, we are <laughs> unsure how that's going to happen. 
but I mean, knowing the Europeans, you'll probably figure it out and get it right. But there will be that few seasons where transfers will have, have issues. Earlier when we talked about homegrown, we're particularly looking um, at the youth section, right? Because that's when, you know, if you can bring someone in at 16, for example, and dump them in your academy and then call them homegrown, I mean, that's great. Uh, But the idea of that 16-year-old being there in the first place is kind of interesting. I mean, there is a FIFA exemption allowing 16 to 18-year-olds to play in the Premier League, which will not apply if the UK exits the EU. Um, Why is that? Or why did that exist in the first place? Uh, actually, to be fair, we're not sure whether if UK exit, whether that rule will not apply. Mm-hmm. I, 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 do, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, in fact, I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's the other way around, where the British Football Associations may impose it even more uh, strenuously, may, may, may encourage more young players to, to play in the league. So, I, I'm sorry, Lynn, I don't think I can give you a really good answer simply because we are still not sure too where the English and British clubs are going. And is it odd um, in the first place that the rule allows minors to be employed professionally? I mean, because they are paid a wage and yeah. so on, um, and they are considered professionals as such. Yes. Um, is that an odd thing, or is, is that an anomaly, a sports thing, or is it you know just something that's... Oh, it's well, a, a typical sports thing. Uh, many young sports, not just football, um, uh, youth uh, players uh, sign up. Um, usually the parents will, the, the, be, will be the guardian of the contract. Um, and in the case of uh, uh, football, uh, most countries adopt the scholarship system where the, these players are given scholarship uh, to play for the club. Um, so it's not uncommon and it's not illegal. Um, in fact, I think it's, it's pretty creative uh, to ensure that the future of the player is secured uh, in, in a legal way. Can secret backdoor deals post-Brexit still be signed to sort of bypass this law? I mean, is, w- would that be something that could happen? I, I, I assume... Um, actually, I'm going to give this question to Leslie because it's very difficult. <laughs> so Leslie is, but anyway, uh, um, I assume the secret backdoor is uh, about having a bilateral agreement. Like, Perhaps. Like, yeah, right? Yeah. So if, if we do that, um, yeah, it's, it's possible that they, they may go around the rule... Uh, I think I think I in fact we foresee it happening. But that's true of any rule I suppose, right? Like I mean any time there is a rule that people don't like they're going to find a way to try and squirm around it. Yeah, of course. I mean right now um as we were saying a, a lot hinges on the outcome of the negotiations because I think it was the economist uh, who had this phrase which was really interesting. They described Brexit as um a divorce uh, which was unilaterally uh, initiated by one party but the terms are going to be dictated by the other party. So it's really quite difficult for us to to predict right now uh, the outcome of the negotiations and the impact. But, um, you know, there is um, the possibility that uh, UK may actually get uh, the European Economic Agreement, which is uh, commonly known as the EEA. Um, And if that is the case, then citizens of EU or players, uh, European players, will actually not need to uh, apply for work permit and that freedom of movement um, uh, which they enjoy at the moment would actually uh, still apply. So, yeah, but I do agree with you, Lynn, that, uh, you know, it is likely, I won't call it backdoor, secret backdoor (laughs) deals. Uh, I think more bilateral deals, you know, country to country. uh, Yeah, I think those kind of deals uh, may arise uh, post-Brexit. 
We've got Salim weighing in just to say, I'm sure UEFA is going to be get involved in the work permit issue as it's going to affect them in lots of ways. Yes, definitely. Definitely, um, yeah. Even the Bosman rule, uh, which is an EU uh, base, uh, despite Brexit, will remain. Uh, simply because the Bosman rule now is firmly entrenched in the way uh, football clubs around Europe uh, in South America manages the transfer. So, yep. We have Bingster on Twitter again yeah. uh, saying um, how Brexit affects clubs in the UK with a lot of foreign talent like uh, United, like City, like Arsenal. Um, will they then implode to teams like Everton? Um, I'm trying to <laughs> translate that. I, I'm assuming the question here is whether... Um, I am actually not sure whether those foreign talents will then move over to clubs like Everton or, how, or whether how exactly will it impact Everton? I think that's yes. his question, perhaps. As an <laughs> Everton fan, I think it's a very direct <laughs> question. It's a real Everton question. So sorry to all those non-Everton fans. Oh, but um, well, actually, clubs with uh, lots of non-British players, um, I believe there'll be a purge uh, in the next five years. Uh, the moment the club knows what the British. Uh, football Association wants to do And I foresee they will fix the, the, the non-British player rule uh, Like for example Four non-British or five non-British players rule uh, to play uh, Then we will see many of these clubs start purging the non-British players So whether they move to other n- clubs Which don't have that many uh, uh, European continental players Is unsure um, anyway, if anybody moves to Everton, they should be the better players, not the lousier players. <laughs> so, you know, Bing will know that. If you've got any questions um, on how the Brexit might impact the EPL, give us a call. That number is 0377109000. You can also text 0162019000 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Is this going to impact um, television and sponsorship deals? Because we've been talking so far about the clubs and about players in particular, but the EPL is big business for reasons other than that as well. Yeah, that's what we really feel is going to happen. Yep. Um, in the long term, um, the Premier League now, before I start going in detail, the Premier League now is worth a billion pounds yep. uh, in broadcasting rights. Um, and simply because it's very attractive and it's very exciting. Uh, it's overtaken Spanish League and, and the German League and the Italian League in terms of uh, uh, broadcasting outreach. But once the clubs uh, and the, 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 the league has less uh, uh, continental flair, I foresee uh, the advertisements and the broadcasting rights may drop. Um, I mean, if I'm an investor, why should I invest into a, a tournament or a league which is not as exciting as, say, the German League? Uh, and but not to forget, German league, Spanish league, Italian league are still in EU. So they benefit from the EU rule. So you may have uh, uh, a, uh, a German club uh, with the top Italian player, top Spanish player playing for them. Um, and now that Portugal just won the European Champions, the top Portuguese players may play in the German league. So the German club may become very, very uh, attractive to, to an investor. Um, so that's something I think may happen um, and Now it's more of a wait and see approach Lynn. But if you ask me to take a bet My bet is broadcasting rights in, in, in Premier League Most likely it will take a drop 
Another aspect of the league that's quite international, I think, is uh, in terms of its owners and investors. You know, we've seen a lot of uh, familiar names from this region even buying into the English Premier League. So other than the devaluing of the pound sterling, does Brexit make it easier or harder for foreign investors to buy into English football clubs? I, I think that, that that's something else. I think English clubs will always be something where uh, Asian investors will want to buy not the broadcasting the the club the club itself yeah, yeah. so like uh, Leicester's owned by Thai owners etc uh, etc et so th- simply because in Asia particularly Southeast Asia the Premier League even before uh, it joined EU was already very attractive in the old English first division and whatnot. so I, I don't think that will slow down um, in fact I, I think I heard you say just now Lin about the money uh, devaluing, the it could be even cheaper now to buy a, a British club. You know, once once Article Fifty is activated. Yeah. There are a few possibilities that have been suggested in a post-Brexit world, you know, looking forward to the next five or ten years, where, uh, because our interview today has been focusing a lot on who knows what's going to happen, really. But um, could we look at, for example, the Swiss or Norwegian models uh, for the Premier oh, League to follow? Yeah. Which model is better for the Premier League? Hmm. The the Swiss league, when uh, after Switzerland left uh, the the uh, EU. EU, the league was uh, to be fair was not international in the first place. Uh, their players were very much Swiss based, so leaving EU actually didn't really have much impact on them. Um, even even the other uh, the Norwegian uh, league, same. Uh, so I don't think that they are good. Examples for Premier League to to look at. Um, I think, in fact, if anybody, if if there's any league that they have to look at, they probably need to look at themselves. Correct. When <laughs> how they yes. evolved in 1992 to. Yeah, I think the global appeal of the Premier League is, is something uncomparable. Yeah, uncomparable. yeah, that's that's my personal view. Well, so I, I I'm sorry, I don't think uh, both that that uh, models may help them. They can pick up a thing or two, but. Uh, they're going to be self-inspired. Yeah, the problem, okay. the, like I said, the Swiss leagues and the Norwegian league has always been locally run anyway, so uh, not much impact there. Another aspect um, that's worth talking about is the salary cap. Um, it's been mooted for a long time to slow wage inflation at big clubs, but it's in, it's been impossible so far because it contravenes EU laws. Um, could a hard cap be introduced now? Could there be finally no. that wage ceiling? Possible. Uh, once the British league leaves EU. Um, they can do whatever they want and they may just do that. Are you both of the opinion that that salary cap would be a good idea or you know, is it something that means that players aren't getting paid enough or, which is a hard argument to make I think in some, play, in some cases? Uh, I'm a free market guy. Um, I always feel that if you are the best, you get paid as much as you can. Your career is short. Um, of course, the fear is that the player become too... Uh, greedy, too selfish, and the entire uh, club becomes a commercial entity uh, about sustaining the value of one player. That's the fear, uh, i.e. the player becomes too big, too expensive. But if the market forces um, allow such a player to prevail and earn big bucks, why not? Uh, he or she uh, only have that few years to play. Um, but Perhaps one day, instead of having salary caps, what we can consider is actually having 
um, certain status of players. You know, we have certain grades of players, and perhaps their tax must be seen differently. You know, if you earn so much money, then you should be taxed even more. Um, instead of capping their earnings, we can look at uh, taking tax money from, away from them. The other way around. But these are things uh, I, I think the English league will probably look at more seriously if they leave uh, EU. And finally, to close off, um, in these uncertain times, if you're a lawyer for a football club, for instance, I'm just plucking one out of the air, Everton, um, how, would you, why. how would you prepare them for, for what comes next? Well, I suppose I have to answer this. <laughs> well, um, yeah, thanks for choosing Everton. Yeah. <laughs> good, uh, good, good club, good club. Um, well, if we are advising Everton now, they would probably need to be very cautious to buy uh, continental players. Um, I would probably advise um, uh, Coleman, our manager, to look at uh, local players first. And if we do go out and buy uh, non-British players, uh, the contract shouldn't be more than five years. Uh, and I said, as I said earlier, Lynn, we must add clauses into the contract that if the work permit issues uh, become uh, overwhelming, then the club may have the option to review and perhaps even uh, terminate the contract. I hope it doesn't happen. So like now Everton is looking at uh, a few major players from Belgium and, and uh, Spain, uh, and they're both EU players. Uh, I would prefer if they can look at English players, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Thank you for asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for our show today. We've been talking about Brexit's impact on the English Premier League. Um, together with Richard Wee and Leslie Lim, you've been listening today to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.